Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to everyone. All the fathers, all the, as Kevin has said, those who are, have been in fathering roles, uh, you're important. You have an important role and we want to celebrate you today. We're looking at this story of the prodigal son today. And we know it as the story of the prodigal son because that's what a number of Bible translations call it in the, in the subtitles. And we've heard some of the more modern ones are calling it the parable of the lost son. But uh, the, the subtitles, of course, of the different sections that we have in our Bibles, as well as the, the, the chapter numbers and verses and most punctuation, actually, were all added in afterwards. They weren't in the original text. So it's largely because of this that we know this story as the story of the prodigal son. It's a famous story, one you've heard many times, I'm sure, maybe one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells in the Bible. And so I think that we probably think we understand it pretty well. We've heard it lots, and we know it. And I thought I knew it fairly well until a few years back as well. And then I learned something that really changed the way that I look at this story. And that's what I want to just share with you this morning. Let's start by defining the word prodigal. What does that word mean? And I'm going to need your help for this. And maybe you're smarter than I am, and this is going to backfire on me. I don't know. Maybe you know what the real definition is. But what are, what are your thoughts? What does the word prodigal mean? Just shout it out. Anybody brave? Gone astray, okay, yeah. Other thoughts? Prodigal? Disobedient, Disobedient. okay. Lost, Lost. yeah. Selfish. What was that? Selfish. Selfish, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, those are right in line with what I thought the word prodigal meant. You know, I thought it was something like the word wayward or rebellious or having straight off the path. Turns out we're all wrong. The Webster's definition, if you look up the Webster's Dictionary, it defines prodigal this way. One who spends or gives lavishly, recklessly extravagant, characterized by profuse or wasteful expenditure, yieldingly abundant. And so synonyms of it would be words like extravagant, squandering, unthrifty, and wasteful. And so it it has both positive and negative connotations, right? Extravagant can be a good thing or it can be an extremely wasteful thing. It's both. And so now that we know what the word means, we we understand why the the biblical scholars and translators called this the story of the prodigal son because this prodigal son was wasteful. He took his father's, uh, all of his hard work, share of his inheritance and just squandered it, threw it away, wasted it on so much. And so he was certainly wasteful and and reckless and wayward and all those things. But I want to suggest that that definition 
maybe change this, the way that we, we think about this passage, or it can at least. Because I, I want to suggest that, that maybe when Jesus was telling this story, his main point wasn't necessarily just to focus on the son, that prodigal son, but to also focus on the father. Because if we think about that definition of what prodigal means, the father was a prodigal father as well. He was generous with his, with his love. He was extravagant in how he gave to his son. He was extravagant in his forgiveness of this wayward son. And I wonder if when Jesus was telling this story, and when you look at the, the, the passage there in Luke 15, it's actually one of three stories that are told about things that are lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And all three of those stories, I, I think, and I suggest, are, are more about the person who is doing the seeking and the celebration that happens when, when the loss is found than it is about the lost sheep or the coin or even necessarily the son. And in this case, when we look at the story of the lost son, you could actually call it the story of the, the lost sons because that older son was, was every bit as lost, just in different ways as the, as the younger son. And so we've, we've tended to focus on the son, but as we look at this passage today, I, and I'm, we've already read it, I'm, but I'm just going to kind of go through and, and kind of retell the story in some different words. My encouragement, my challenge is to, is to focus on the father. Keep your eyes on the father as we, we retell this story. Because I think that the story Jesus is telling is one that, that shows us who God the heavenly father is shows us the characteristics of, of who God is. Jesus wants us to, to understand who our Heavenly Father is and what He is like. And then as we understand that, as we grow in our understanding of, of who God our Father is, God our perfect Father, and we understand that, that God as a Father is a model for what all other fathers and, and people in fathering roles are to be like, then we can use that as an example that we aspire to, that we want to grow into. And wives and ladies, you can help us by encouraging us in that. And children, you can learn from the mistakes of these, these children and, and honor your father and thank, you, thank them for, for those, uh, being in those roles and encourage them as well. So the story starts off, this man has two sons. The younger of them saying to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate so that, that will belong to me. This was an incredibly rude, incredibly offensive thing actually to ask. He selfishly demanded an early inheritance. An inheritance normally comes when your father has passed away. And essentially the son was saying, Dad, I can't wait till you're dead. I want my stuff now. You know, I want what's mine. I don't want to wait till you're dead. I want my share now. It's not just the boldness, though, and the selfishness of this son that's remarkable. But again, as we keep our eyes on the father, what's the father's response? What must the father have been going through? What was it like for him to have his, his younger son approach him and essentially say, I, I wish that you were dead so I could have my share of the inheritance? If the father had been anything other than unapproachable, this, this son wouldn't have come with that kind of request. If this had been the kind of father that, 
that, that this kind of request would have been met by the back of his hand, the son never would have come. But this was an approachable father. Even though the request was, was outrageous and rude and, and dishonoring, the father, we learn about his personality, is one that we can come to. The father is approachable. He's, he's there. He's available. There's no hint of harshness. There's no sense of, of kind of a rigid dictatorship at home where this, this father kind of rules in that harsh way. He was a good father. There was no real reason for the son to want out of that family relationship other than his own selfishness. And so we see the father in the story that Jesus tells being one who was wise and, and understands in his wisdom that, that he can't control his son. He can't stop his son. Sometimes our kids need to learn the hard way as much as we don't want them to suffer and we want them to learn from our mistakes, but sometimes they have to learn for themselves. And so this son or this father doesn't resist that. He wasn't possessive or trying to control his son. And so he gives the son his inheritance. He makes the arrangements. And this Son walks away with all of this stuff. And that's, again, a picture of who God is. God is not a Father who wants to control us. God is a Father who, who will let us, at times, walk away from Him. He'll let us go our foolish ways. He, he wants to guide us into what's right. He wants us to be in close relationship. He wants us to, to avoid all the pitfalls that He knows are ahead of us. But He doesn't force us to do that. He doesn't control us. He lets us wander when we choose to. And He also lets us experience the, the, the consequences of that. And He disciplines us to try and help us to learn that lesson to come back. We can do that same thing. We can either wander away from God or we can stay and experience God's generosity, His gifts, His gift of life, His gift of our abilities, our family, our material things. <clears throat> and give those things back to God in, that, in a worship relationship. And so we see how God is, is, is a gracious and a kind and approachable God. He's also a generous God. A generous Father. And so as the Father divides His goods, his, divides His inheritance, after a few days, the young son gathers all of his stuff and he's on his way. He wanted to break away. He wanted to be on his own. He wanted to experience. He didn't know what, but he just wanted to be out and be able to experience it himself. Whatever was out there, the new places, the new experiences, he wanted that. Maybe you've felt that yourself as well. Maybe you've thought that, wanting something new, wanting the, the new experience, the new excitement. Maybe you've, you've taken that road yourself for a time. We've been there. As he left that, that place, which we know was a farm, he was probably thinking he was free of having to get up early, working from dawn till dusk on the farm, getting up early, taking care of animals, doing all the hard work, the endless chores. We call that adulting today. And some of us think, yeah, it'd be nice to go back and be a kid, right, and get out of this adulting mode. Well, he was being proactive in getting out of that, but he didn't know what he was in for. And then when he gets to his destination, of course, he, he squanders it all. He wastes it all. 
on, on all kinds of <clears throat> lifestyles that were not only unhealthy for him, but also sinful, walking away from God. And then when it's all gone, when the money was gone, he found that his friends were gone as well. And then a severe famine comes across the land and he begins to be in need. The party is over and he realizes how hard life can be on his own. And so we see that he went, went to work for one of the citizens of the country he was in who had a pig farm. And he went to the field to feed pigs. Now we remember, of course, that Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. He comes from a Jewish family himself. He's talking to Jewish people. And so for Jewish people, pigs were unclean animals. They didn't eat pork. They didn't touch them. If they, they dealt with them, they would be unclean. And really, it would be an insult for a Jewish person to have to talk, or not talk, but, but work with and interact with, with these animals. So in addition to it, to it being a hard, difficult job, there was also this, this element of shame to it as well. And that shame continued to grow as, as he became hungry and, and started to look at the feed that the pigs were eating, and it started to look good to him. So it talks about different pods, bean pods, that that those pigs would have been eating. And they were probably, um, from research says, sweet carob or locust tree pods, which were commonly used for fattening up pigs. And in extreme cases, they could be used for food, but they, they for people, if they're really poor. And he looked at that feed and realized that he was starving to death. And he started to think that those, he, he longed to be able to, to eat those, those pods. Now, I've shoveled a bit of corn silage in my day. I've never been so hungry that I wanted to take a few handfuls of it, though. I can't imagine how that would have been. And the reality is that sin promises a lot more than it can deliver on. This person was desperate. This young son was desperate. He was learning a lesson the hard way. And in verse 17, it says that he, he finally comes to his senses. And he says to himself, how many of my father's hired workers have, have food to spare, but I'm here dying of hunger. His rebellion leads him into these hard times and he begins to, to realize. He gets that reality check of, of where he is and what he's done wrong and, and asking the question, why in the world am I living this way? I'm realizing how, how mistaken I was, how foolish I was. And he gets to that place of being at the rock bottom, at the lowest of the low, and starts to think about what it would look like to go back to his fathers and repent. And so he starts to create a little speech in his head, preparing to go back to his father. And he says, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, or sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired workers. So after he has his speech in, in mind, he starts to head back, and he heads back to his father. And it says that he was still a long way off from his home when the father saw him. What does the father do? Keep your eyes on the father here. Filled with love and compassion, the father runs to his son, embraces him, and kisses him. This is the only time in Scripture where we've have this picture of, of God running to someone. And this is the, the Father's heart for us. He longs for us. 
And when, he, when he, he lets us go, He lets us go our own way at times, but when we choose to come back to Him, He doesn't just kind of stand back and wait for us to, to come and be there. When we finally arrive, He doesn't just say, hey, you're back. When the Father sees us coming to Him, the Father runs to us. He loves us that much that He doesn't wait for us to come. He meets us halfway. When we're far from God and when we finally decide to return, our Heavenly Daddy doesn't wait for us to get to Him. He starts moving towards us as well out of His love and His, his passion. And He runs to us and He throws His arms around us. He wants us to understand that, that we are loved and we are welcome. In the story, with the context that Jesus was, was telling the story in too, there's another possibility why the, the father ran to the son. Because in Jewish culture, the, the sin of dishonoring your father and mother was a serious one. And according to Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21, this son should have been stoned to death for this kind of dishonor against his dad. So there's a possibility too that Again, as Jesus is telling the story, this might have been in the backs of the people's, the listeners' minds as well, that, that this son is as good as dead, should be dead probably. And so maybe this son was also going to not only welcome and embrace, but also to protect and to, to actually use his body as a shield for those who would want to stone and kill this son as well. So there's a welcoming and a loving, but there's also a, a sense of protection, of surrounding this son. And then the son launches into his little speech. And he gets going, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off right there. He doesn't even get to the other part of the, the speech where he says, just consider me one of your servants. The father stops him before he can finish his, his rehearsed speech. And the father says to his other servants, hurry, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. These were symbols of sonship, not of servanthood. The father welcomes him back not just as a servant, not just as someone who, who is, is kind of damaged goods, but welcomes him back as a son. Welcomes him back into the same relationship that, that he had turned his back on, that he really had, had spit on before. The father welcomes him back as his son. In an exact contradiction to what the son had just said, that I'm not, I'm not worthy to be called your son, and yet he welcomes him back as a son. And he goes on, you know, bring the calf that we've been fattening up, let's eat, let's celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive now. He was lost and he's found. It was going to be a party. They didn't have freezers in those days. They couldn't keep meat for long periods of time, so they always kept some animals around that were ready just in case a, a party broke out. There was a reason to celebrate. And so this was, you know, if it was a little party, you might have a goat or a sheep or something that, that you would do. This was a big party. This was the, the calf that they had been fattening up. This was going to be a, a real big celebration, a significant celebration. This wasn't just a little rejoicing. This was a big party. And again, shows us what it means to God the Father when his children return to him after being lost. 
It matters to him. It's significant to him. It's a huge thing. And in fact, Jesus says this in other places. He says, there's so much celebration in heaven when even one of these lost ones comes back to God the Father. It was a significant celebration. Instead of a funeral, there was a feast. In some ways, I wish the story ended there. That would be a good conclusion to the story right there. But Jesus starts off the story by saying this man had two sons. The other son is still there. And it says the older son was out in the field and as he came and approached the house, he heard the music. He heard the celebration happening and he was wondering what was going on. And he asks what's happening and one of the other servants says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. And instead of joining in the celebration, instead of recognizing this was a good news story, the, the son was angry. And in fact, he didn't even come to the party. He stayed up where he was. He, he remained in his anger and his bitterness towards his brother. And so again, keep your eye on the father. What does the father do? Does the father stay in the party and stay in the celebration? No, the father leaves the party and approaches the son. Again, we see the father moving towards the son. And they have this conversation. And the older son really does some venting on his father. I've been working so hard for you for so many years, and, and this, this, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours comes back, and suddenly we have a big party. You killed the, the calf for him. And the father responds, son, you're always with me. And everything I have belongs, or everything that I have belongs to you. It's yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. Again, this being a picture of God, that's, that's God's heart. That's God's attitude. When something that is lost, when someone that's lost comes back, it's like they were dead and they're, they're back to life again. And we have to celebrate. God has to celebrate that, that good news. The reality is that father had two lost sons. Neither son, at least at portions of the story, really understood who their father was. Never fully understood him. In the story, we see not only a prodigal son, but we see a prodigal father who is extravagant, who's lavishly uh, generous with his material things, with his, with his love, with his forgiveness. One who's lavish in, in coming in and being approachable and being the one who actually approaches us and reaches out to us and moves towards us. This father is extravagant almost to the point of being wasteful with his love and his forgiveness and his generosity towards his children. And I find it, when I look at it from that perspective, to be an amazing picture of who God our Father is. And an amazing challenge to me as to the kind of dad that I want to be. 
And I'm not there. I don't think any of us are there. And maybe won't be this side of heaven, but it gives us a goal and a a vision to strive towards as we relate to our children, whether they're very young or whether they're, they're grown and have children of their own. What does it look like for us to be prodigal fathers? Let's look to this picture that Jesus paints of God the Father and aspire to that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this amazing story that, that shows us not only lots about what it means to be lost, but also shows us powerfully who you are as God, our Heavenly Father. And God, we confess as, as earthly fathers here in, in lots of different fathering roles that, that we're not there, but we want to be more and more like you. God, help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to grow to be more and more like you in how we live our everyday lives, but also in how we relate to our children. To be extravagant with our love, with our reaching out to them, with our forgiveness of them, with our understanding of them when when they don't understand us. Holy Spirit, transform us from the inside out. Help these these words and this, this story, this picture of who you are, God, as God the Father, to be ingrained in us and for us to more and more reflect as we grow and mature to be a father like you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.